Listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast, hosted by Josh Wander. Welcome back to the Bring Them Home podcast. This is Josh Wander speaking from Yerushalayim. Uh, we are living in very traumatic, very precarious, and very uh, scary times. Uh, we are living in a day and age in which uh, there's chaos in the world. And no one knows from one hour to the next what is happening and what's going to happen. And we are fortunate, again, to have Rav Nachman Kahana on the line to tell us a little bit of his insights about what he thinks is happening, what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. Welcome to the show, Rav Nachman. Shalom, Josh. Shalom, our listeners in Israel and abroad. Shalom. The Navi Yeshayahu said, Ki mitzion Torah. Might of Zion will come to us. I hope that the things that I say are within the bounds of accepted Torah ideas. Okay. Uh, people experience traumatic episodes of various physiological and psychological repercussions. Some experiences become relegated to the dark area of the subconscious, never to reappear again in one's window of consciousness. Memories of others, like those who went through the atrocities of the Shoah, are forever engraved in their consciousness. As one witness of the John Manic trial said, if you are not in Treblinka, you cannot enter. If you are there, you can never leave. The third type of traumatic memory emerges from time to time from the subconscious to one's consciousness brought about by associations with other thoughts. I would like, dear friends, have an autobiographical, autobiographical dramatic experience which occurred when I was 12 years old, which is not yesterday. My family moved to 1710 2nd Street, corner of Quinn Island, Quinn Road, in Flatbush, when I was five years old. My brother, Mayor, was 10. Our father became the rabbi of the Shari Fila Shul on West 1st Street, where he served for the next 30 years. Our street consisted of first and second generation Catholics, Italians and Irish, only four Jewish families. Our next door neighbor were Italians by the name of Colombo. He had a son called Charles, like his father, who was nicknamed Junior. He was one older than me, one year older than me. Whenever Junior saw me, he would call out Dirty Jew, would send me home in tears. One day, my mother found out that Mrs. Colombo's father was a Jew. In other words, Junior's paternal grandfather was Jewish, not her mother. My mother told me that the next time a little shake is called me dirty Jew, given the details of his great Yichus genealogy, it happened the very next day. He made his usual neighborly statement. And then I said to him, your grandfather is also a dirty Jew. He went home crying. On that day, we became the best of friends. 
our bedroom windows faced each other across the narrow alley, and we would blabber until late at night when we went to sleep. Now to the point. When I was 12 and Junior was 13, we went to a local public park to play basketball as we opened it about a 10-minute walk from my home. As we were playing, a little shay gets about 10, comes to the court and begins to interfere with the game. I, or maybe Junior, don't remember, scared him off. Soon after, a gang of older teenagers appeared and began pushing us around. We were 10, 12, 13, they were 17, 18. I was wearing my keeper. <coughs> they concluded that Junior was, <coughs> <to> me. <coughs> Junior was also a dirty Jew. Then they got into fist fights. I started to run, but they were able to make it only to the middle fence surrounding the yard. He threw me down on the ground and began kicking my whole body. I recall saying to myself, if I don't get away, I'm going to die here. I counted to three and suddenly got up and ran to his little shack with a pocket pen that kept his supplies and the gang right behind me. The attendant saw what was happening. He shoved me into the shack, closed the door, and he ran away. I tried to imagine being there. The shack was small and dark about two meters square, it's a little window high up. The gang surrounded the shack, the panning on the walls and the door, screaming like the Nazis that they were. I know it wouldn't take long before the door would give in. I was there, a 12-year-old boy, a tiny hut surrounded by numerous goyim was murder in their eyes. During those moments, I could have been in Spain, in the Rhine Valley during the Crusades, on any of the many programs in our history. But I was in the park on McDonald Avenue, between Avenue R and Essen, Brooklyn, the land of the free, known of the brave. Suddenly I heard a police siren, and the blame scattered. The police opened the door and brought me home. Junior had escaped and told my parents, but then called the police. A doctor came and said that I had a concussion and sent me to bed. A few hours later, Junior's mother came to our home to see me. After inquiring how I was, she said, I want you to know, not all Catholics are like that. And I thought to myself, not all, just most. Reliving the experience of being in a hut, surrounded by Graham who wanted to beat me to a pope, is a very traumatic experience, especially for a 12-year-old boy. It was my personal crystal nacht. I recovered physically. I was able to push away the reality of my feelings. Most terrible moments. Not going on. However, twice in the past, I relieved, relieved those horrible moments. Once about 30 years ago, when visiting the United States, my dear friend, Dr. Frank Lafer, bought tickets for a giant football game. Before leaving the house, he handed me a giant cap to replace my keeper so it shouldn't look so Jewish. That's the laugh. The area where we sat was so the going. After the first quarter, they all smelled of beer with men and women. By halftime, they were running to the bathroom in a pattern of beer, bathroom, beer, bathroom, and so on. Many showed degrees of drunkenness as they began shouting and jumping, just not very nice. At some moment, the thought unwillingly came to my mind. One of them would say, there are Jews here, let's get them. And the feeling of being in the park attendance little shack, surrounded by half animals, half humans, gripped me once again. Okay.
The second time, the feeling came over me. Was last week when I saw on TV a mob rushing towards the Capitol, shoving the guards and trampling the fabric of society that keeps the United States united. I saw my mind's eye the same mob running towards the Jewish neighborhood for murder in their eyes. What would it take for someone to say, yeah, let's go to the Jewish neighborhood? Step forth anyway. <clears throat> and then I felt, sitting in my house, I saw it again, experiencing that black shack surrounded by Goyim. Terrible. There is much anger and frustration in the United States today, and it's not going away. The U.S. is a patch quilt of ethnic groups whose common denominator is the great American dream. And one day they could be financially comfortable in the little houses, blow the other perks, and make Glam happy. Wherever a society exists, they're walking on eggshells, which could shatter in one second. Jewish history is repetitive pattern of sin and punishment, sin and exile. But today Hashem has provided us the ability to break this vicious cycle. We're able to return home to Medina to Israel. And if we were wise enough, we can build on the dream of 2,000 years to recreate our nation of old and the Hashem and the Torah. This is the obligation of every Jew. There are no excuses. Life is in Eretz Israel. The alternative is to be locked in a little shack, surrounded by Goyim, want to release deep frustrations created in their dysfunctional societies on the Yudah. Now, we have a two-pronged program in front of us. One is to bring the Jews back there to Israel. Not all are going to make it, and communities will remain, unfortunately. Something has to be done to protect these communities. If God forbid, things deteriorate and, and these communities are attacked. Jewish communities, wherever they are, have to set up a system of first responders with weapons, with cold weapons, as they say, that at least hold back to going for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, till the police come, if they come. This is responsibility of every responsible leader of a community. You have to have first providers, but if not, not, if, if it comes to it, then and you are you're just totally helpless. Again, we have to come to it to some, but whoever cannot has to find ways to protect himself. It's not a happy projection, but the world today is not a happy world. After some Hashem's changed the, the course of the world from being progressive and happy and we've taken back, they've gone back with the corona, with uh, weakening of democratic institutions and other things. Not the world that was a year ago, it's not going to come back again so fast. But Baruch Hashem, we have an alternative. We can come home. I wish you all. Chodesh Tov. Shabbat Shalom. Come Shalom. Thank you so much. I, I also... Growing up in a small town in western Pennsylvania, had experienced anti-Semitism. But many people in the past generation, especially those growing up in predominantly Jewish neighborhoods, have not experienced it at all. So they don't even understand what exists Mm -hmm. out there. They're living in bubbles Mm -hmm. in Lakewood or in Borough Park. 
and they're not aware of the fact that the vast majority of the country may rise up against them at some point in the future. And I think that's an important uh, point to make. I think that we always have to remember that Esav, Sonet, Yaakov, and I think it's a direct result, I think the Rav would agree with me, that it's a direct result of the of the fact that Jews in the Galut have chosen to remain in the Galut. And as long as they choose to remain in the Galut and they're comfortable there, it is not only the the natural way of things, but it is perhaps even the obligation of Esav to get up and to remind us that we're in Galut. And again, fortunately, we have a way out. We have a place to go, not just a place to go as refuge, but a, but the place that we're meant to, to, to continue the destiny of our people. I tell you, what I saw last week, the mob rushing from the capital, I saw the faces of these people. They were dressed, and the, the body language is frightening. Some is frightening. You could put a different date in a different place and go somewhere else with it. But, but the anger and the, the, anger and the, and the willingness, to, people die. It's like people are killed. And just the destructive, just in their, their attitude, and it, it just fearful what could happen. When was it going to happen? No one knows. It could be a yes, it could be five years, it could be tomorrow. It depends how, or it could be 20th of January, and they have their inauguration. They're talking about is the fear that every one of the state capitals is going to be uh, activity of these kind of people. And they it's just, says, I pity, I pity. I've got a friend who was a rabbi in West Hampton many years ago, many years ago. And he now is not feeling very well. And I call him up very often. We speak twice, three times a week. And he, he's down, he's down, his mood is down. I said to him, I can make you happy in one minute. No, you cannot make me happy in a minute. I'll show you. Imagine now you're the rabbi in West Hempstead. Now, today, we're playing a sermon to Shabbat. How do you feel about that? But Hashem brought you here. He said, it feels better already. <laughs> anyway. It, it's, I, I want to make a, make a point that, that those that uh, are on both sides of the aisle, of the political aisle in the United States, should realize that it's not so clear where... The source of anti-Semitism is many people blame it on the right, many people blame it on the left. Historically, it's the extreme left that has always been the the worst perpetrator of anti-Semitism. But we see it from both sides, the extreme uh, right and the extreme left, um, and it's something that we have to be concerned about in general. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a political thing. It's not that you've joined uh, one political party so that you're safe. It's something that uh, Jews have to realize that Esav, Sonet, Yaakov, regardless of political affiliation. I'll tell you, Josh, I think anti-Semitism stems from a much more fundamental place. And after one word called Matzpun, conscience. The Jews gave to the Goyim what they don't want. The Jews gave to the Goyim conscience. Goyim don't want conscience. They were not like Esav, free in the Sadeh, in the field. We gave them the conscience, and they do something right or wrong, right or wrong. And because of that, there's anti-Semitism. We point the finger at what's bad in society. Not at the point of just being there. They associate the Jew with conscience, and that's where it comes from. The vast majority of Jews in America, I think um, it would be safe to say, 
are completely oblivious to this. Even today, as these things are unfolding before our eyes, what is so obvious to us here in Yerushalayim is completely uh, ignored by the vast majority of Jews in America. How how would the Rav say uh, we should, what should we do in order to try to wake them up? I know that the Rav has been involved for decades now in trying to deliver that message. Is there anything that we can do in order to try to wake up our brothers and sisters? Okay, the job is much easier today. 20, 30 years ago when I was writing, other people were doing things. It was us against the world. But now you have anti-Semitism pushing. We're pulling, and then some just pushing. So I'll make the job on the halfway. The thing to do is you can't, not going to speak, can't speak to, 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 to many, many Jews because you can't. You have to work one by one, one by one. Each family that you save, you save lives. They and the children and grandchildren and great grandchildren when Mashiach comes. And one by one, and it says, a friend has a friend has a friend. Uh, but they have to keep going. They have to go on an individual basis and not say, what well, is one person? No. One person is the world. Whoever makes saves one Jewish life, let be created a several entire world. That's that one by one, one by one, and one becomes ten, ten becomes a hundred, one becomes a thousand. Anyway, I wish you success. It's a, not an easy job. And uh, gosh. One, one uh, last question, if I may. There, there, there are many rabbis that are saying that it's not right to use what they refer to as scare tactics in order to try to get people to make Aliyah. People should be making Aliyah for the right reasons because Eretz Israel is the right place to be, and it's wrong to try to scare them out of Galut. What are your thoughts about that? I tell these rabbis, how did they keep the children in line? They're so nice to them all the time. Parents have scare tactics for the children too because it depends on, 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 the, on the goal of what you want from the children so high that children don't understand what you want from them. There's certainly scare tactics, bringing home a report card three times a year or, or, or all kinds of other things. It's part of the teacher and student relationship. There has to be a kavod or derecheret, even a scare tactic, in order to bring a person to higher levels. That's it. It's part of human beings. It can't be nice all the time. Forget about your children. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we hope that uh, better days are soon to come. Amen. Be well. Shabbat shalom. Thank you for listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast. If you identify with our message, please subscribe and tell your friends about us too. You can leave us a review on iTunes, as that really helps us grow. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. For sponsorship opportunities and for all other inquiries, please email us at bringthemhomeisrael at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.israeltorah.org for more content on this vital topic. This is the place to be.